All right, good morning. How's everybody this morning? Good. Everybody's, everybody's shifting in the shade. If uh, nobody's using this big shady spot over here, so if anybody's really cooking, I don't think anybody would uh, make you feel bad if you chose to move over there. Uh, it, is, it is awesome to be together here with you all today. So my guess is, is that this is the most people that we have had physically together for service, maybe, I guess, besides Easter, probably besides Christmas, but for a, but for a normal Sunday morning service since COVID began. And it's just really nice. There are many things I really enjoy about worshiping outside. You know, beautiful sun, that's awesome, everything. One thing I really miss about being inside is being able to hear all of you sing as I sing, and that's partially because my voice isn't very good, so I'd rather hear your voices. But part of it is just that communal aspect to being together. And being outside, we often don't get that as much. And I could, I could really hear that this morning. I could hear you guys singing. And it was a blessing to me. So thank all of you for being here today as we continue to move forward from, from what's been a really strange time for all of us. So as I'm driving down the road with my kids, there's this, there's this new thing that's developed. My kids will say, there's a Tesla. There's a Tesla. For those of you that don't know, uh, Tesla is a car company that makes battery-powered cars. And my kids feel about Teslas the way many of you that were raised in the 70s probably felt about muscle cars. They consider them the ultimate standard for cars. Now, this may be surprising to you, but Tesla, for this reason, or, or this is partially the reason, has become the most valuable car company in the world. Tesla is valued at $631.29 billion. That's a, that's a big number, so it's a little bit hard to put in perspective. If you added together the next six car companies, which would include Toyota, Volkswagen, Daimler, General Motors, plus China-based BYD and NIO, if you added all those companies together, their value would not be the same, would not add up to what Tesla is worth alone. Elon Musk, the CEO of Tesla, is such a celebrity, he actually hosted Saturday Night Live last week. It's not often that a CEO gets invited to host SNL. The value of Tesla as a company, or Elon Musk celebrity, is not why my kids appreciate Teslas, though. For them, a Tesla is what a car should be. It is the platonic ideal of cars that they judge all other cars off of. It is the gold standard. The desirability of a Ford, Honda, or even a BMW depends on the extent to which it is similar to a Tesla. They don't just like Teslas. Teslas are their mental model of what a car should be. 
all people have mental models or ideals for the things they are interested in. Many of you have a mental version of a home, garden, professional achievement, investment portfolio, or relationship that you use as the gold standard. You judge your present reality based on the extent to which it mimics that ideal in the same way my kids judge other cars by how they compare to a Tesla. What you think of as being the ideal in a given area determines your thinking and choices in that realm. People that identify as Christians also have mental models of what being a Christian should look like. This can be good or bad. Well, we can debate what the ideal car is, whether it's a, a muscle car or a Tesla. We cannot debate what the ideal Christian is. We know the ideal Christian is Jesus. He is the mental model that we should have foremost in our mind. When we think about being a Christian, if what we picture diverges significantly from Jesus, it is not just a matter of preference. We are wrong. In today's verses, Paul is addressing the flawed mental model the Corinthians have for what Christianity is supposed to be. Many Christians today have flawed mental models very similar to what the Corinthians exhibited. So if you would turn with me to 1 Corinthians 4, we will start reading in verse 8 and read through verse 21. Those verses are in your bulletin, or you can, of course, use your own Bible. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 21. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul writes, Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings and would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world the refuse of all things. Do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, 
but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod, or with a love and a spirit of gentleness? Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The Corinthians think they are living Christian lives. Their mental model of what a Christian life looks like is very different from Paul. Based on their cultural expectations, they think they are doing pretty well. In verse 8, Paul highlights how they think of themselves. They have all they want. They are rich. They reign like kings. The Corinthians think their experience is a product of their own wisdom and strength. The honor they experience is appropriate. Paul references their appraisal of their own giftedness with mocking tones. The Corinthians are not excelling as Christians. In fact, they're not living like Christians much at all. Paul compares his own experience with that of the Corinthians. While they rule, he and the other apostles are exhibited to the world as spectacles, like prisoners that have been sentenced to death. Instead of wisdom, strength, and honor, the apostles are weak fools that are held in disrepute. From the Corinthians' perspective, the evidence that they are living the Christian life as they should is that their lives are going well by their own cultural standards. For Paul, the fact that their lives are going well by their own cultural standards is evidence they are not living as Christians at all. They are not living like Christians. They are living like Corinthians. Their lives do not look any different from the surrounding culture. They don't think or act differently from their neighbors. They've just slapped a Christian label on a pagan lifestyle. Today is my son Josiah's 13th birthday. Teenage years, here we come, all right? And as a teenager, of course, a few weeks ago, we, we asked him what he wanted for his birthday. And he said he wanted AirPods, which are fancy headphones made by Apple. And these little headphones, now, they're quite expensive and I was on Facebook marketplace and I saw some rip-off airpods and I thought yeah maybe maybe that would be okay right so I looked at them and you could look at these knockoff headphones on Facebook marketplace and you could tell they were not the real thing they were not authentic they had an Apple label on them but they are not the real thing. Authentic Christianity is more than a label. This continues to be true today. The wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world inevitably conflict. There are all sorts of ways this is true. The most basic difference is that the wisdom of the world is selfish. 
Whereas the wisdom of God is sacrificial. There are many people in the United States today that would identify as Christians and specifically as evangelicals. Much of what is termed Christianity today is just a generic American lifestyle with a Christian label slapped onto. I would love to hear Paul's sarcastic assessment of it. Or maybe I wouldn't. I suspect his message would probably hit me just a little too close to home. Churches are filled with so-called Christians whose lives look no different from their, from their openly pagan neighbors if you were to exclude how they spend their Sunday morning. They raise their kids the same way, they watch the same movies, go on the same vacations, and have the same hobbies. Christianity is not supposed to be a label. It is supposed to be a way of life. What matters is not what we call ourselves, but how we live. Okay, this is, this is going to hurt. We're going to get real specific. I'm going to read one sentence of today's text. And you just let me know if that sounds like how many who would refer to themselves as Christians in the United States in 2021 live. At the end of verse 12 and beginning at verse 13, Paul writes, When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. That doesn't sound like a lot of people I know that claim to be Christians. Paul is describing himself, but he is also saying this blessing, enduring, and entreating is how Christians should respond to a world that will revile, persecute, and slander true Christianity. Maybe, maybe another translation would help us out a bit. We'll, we'll go King James. We'll go old school. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. Turns out the problem is not the translation. The culture we live in at present is full of reviling, persecution, and slander. Instead of responding to this, as Paul describes himself doing, it seems like the majority of Christians respond with our own reviling or slander. We use personal attacks to persecute our enemies, excusing our behavior by claiming they persecuted us first, as if that makes it okay. Some Christians are very active in this way, especially on social media. Others... We don't get our hands dirty, right? We just, we just let other people that we support in the culture get their hands dirty for us. Responding in the way Paul describes himself as responding, oh, man, it sounds, it sounds really naive. It sounds hopelessly weak. Someone say, 
you know, Paul, he wrote these words, it was a long time ago. He doesn't know the battles we face. He doesn't know how bad things have gotten. It is worth noting that Paul was repeatedly beaten with actual fists and imprisoned. When, see, when he says he is reviled, he's not talking about somebody unfriending him on Facebook. When he references persecution, he's not talking about getting written up at work. He's talking about an angry mob trying to beat him to death. I'm not saying the challenges we face today aren't hard. My point is that Paul is responding to much worse situations. We can't act like living out what he wrote used to be easier. Still, some would say we have to fight like the world fights because doing so is the only way to win. And victory is what matters. It might be worth noting that Paul's strategy, it seems pretty effective long term. The pagan Roman Empire that was actively persecuting Christians was Christianized through the approach Paul describes. Modern psychological and sociological research would add that trying to change a, a single person, much less the world through making the more aggressive argument, is not typically very effective. All right. Apparently the iPod got hot, so it's going to be a second. <laughs> Unexpected. All right. Let's do this. That'll teach me to rely on technology too much. All right. Um, sorry, guys. Back on track here in a second. Okay, we're almost there, guys. Sorry. I want you guys to think about your own experience. How many times have you changed your mind because somebody bullied you, because somebody aggressively argued with you and pointed out that you were wrong and that they know better? The primary point we should take away from this is not that Christianity is more effective though. While that is true, that should not be the Christian's primary motivation. Whatever the worldly results of our actions are, we are called to live like Christ, which is very different from the way the world goes about things. We can let God worry about the results. Paul is concerned about the Corinthians' mental model for Christianity and the resulting lifestyle. Paul writes to the Corinthians, I urge you then, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Paul has just shown a spotlight on all the things the Corinthians disdain him for in the preceding verses. In their minds, they are superior to Paul. 
They think he is foolish and weak and disreputable. Because the Corinthians are none of these things, that means they are spiritually superior. Paul is saying the opposite is true. If they want to be more spiritual, they need to follow the path he is on. He is their guide in this. He is more than a guide. In fact, he is like a father showing his children the way to live. The Corinthians are missing out, as are many Christians today that have similarly problematic mental models. The Christian life Paul encourages is not an approach he cooked up on his own. I'm sure if I had if it had been up to Paul, he would have come up with a strategy that did not involve becoming like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. He's not a masochist. For Paul, going, Jesus going to the cross is the clearest indication of what the Christian life consists of. The cross is important, and that is where we are justified by Christ. It is also important in that it shows us with unfaltering clarity how God, through Jesus, engages with this world. On the cross, Jesus became the scum of the world. The Corinthians' brand of Christianity was all about self-glorification, and personal comfort. That in itself was proof that it wasn't authentic. Paul is concerned that they're on the wrong path without even knowing it. A Christian that does not follow the way of the cross will have a weak faith. The Corinthians Paul was addressing had a weak faith. Many Christians today have a weak faith. Talk is cheap. A person running their mouth doesn't require mo much effort. Professional sports is an, an arena where you'll hear a lot of talk. Back in 2005, there was this famous story. Right before the Super Bowl, there was a receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles, they were playing the New England Patriots, named Freddie Mitchell. And before the big game, he was interviewed and he was asked about the Patriots. And he said, and I quote, eight, eight times we would beat them. To me, the Patriots are not that good. We're the better team. A good team crushes that Patriot team. I'm telling you, they're not that good. Mitchell's team lost to the Patriots 24-21. What is even more embarrassing is that Mitchell, in this huge game, had one catch for 11 yards. Talk is cheap. We've all worked with people that talk a big game and can't back it up. Often these folks will talk about what they're capable of if, if they just had the chance and how valuable they are to the company. We all have friends, 
family members or neighbors that tell us what they are going to do in the future. In Christianity, there are different versions of cheap talk. There are those that could write a theological treatise that look down on everyone else. Others that testify about amazing spiritual experiences or claim spiritual maturity that cannot be bothered to serve in the most simple ways. If you ask them to go on a mission trip to China, they would gladly sign up. If you ask them to serve in the nursery, they'd say, no, I, I can't do that. I can't, that's too much. Paul points out the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. The power Paul refers to is the power Jesus himself exhibited to those who can only see things the way the world sees them. This power may appear as weakness. As Jesus hung dying on the cross in Matthew 27, the chief priests, scribes, and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. They didn't realize the power they were witnessing. The weakness of God is stronger than any human strength. Paul has complete confidence in the power of the cross. He knows that words cannot withstand it. He knows the powers and principalities will crumble before it. Nobody can access God's power apart from God. To have the power that Paul was so confident in, we must be in Christ as he was. Being like Christ will make you seem powerless in the eyes of the world. It is actually necessary for us to be like Christ, to have any real power, to make a difference in the world. Paul's confidence is not in himself, but God. The power he wields is not his own. It is the power of the Lord. The way God chooses to show his power in the world may seem like weakness. Any who test it will find they have underestimated it to their own detriment. So much of what passes for Christianity today is just people talking. Many who want worldly power slap a Christian label on their pursuit. We then act surprised when this approach doesn't have its desired effect. All the talk and all the supposed strength doesn't lead to the results that we think it should. Maybe that is because a worldly approach doesn't have the power of God. God's power comes through living like Christ. If we are not living like Christ, Christ, there is no reason to expect that we will have any access to the power of God. 
if you were looking for a new car and you went on Facebook Marketplace and you saw a Tesla for a thousand dollars, you would think something's not right here. You would know that it was either some wrecked version of the Tesla or it was not authentic or flawed in the same way. In the same way, if you were buying a knockoff form of Christianity because it cost you very little, you are not getting the real thing. Being an authentic Christian is costly. This brings us back to where we began today's sermon. We need to evaluate what our mental model is for how we live out the Christian life. Is it authentic Christianity or an Americanized derivation? Who do we model our Christian life after? Paul told the Corinthians they should model it model themselves off of him, not because he was perfect, but because he was moving in the direction of the cross. He was heading towards Christ. We should do the same. We should look for people as our models that live like Christ. When reviled, do they bless? When persecuted, do they endure? When slandered, do they entreat? Or do they just talk a lot? Do they pursue power in worldly ways? Or do they pursue the power of God that comes when we live out the cross in our lives? Who we become will depend on the mental models we base our lives on. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you that your word is stronger than any one of us. We mess up. We are imperfect. We trust technologies that fail us, or more specifically, I. And yet, Lord, your power still stands. Your power still moves forward. The cross is achieving victory. It has achieved victory, and it will continue to achieve victory. Lord, I pray that we would be people of the cross who authentically live out the cross in our lives. I pray that we would look to Jesus as our ultimate model, that we would look to others who go in the way of Jesus to show us how we should live, that we would not fall into the trap of living in a way that is comfortable or pleasing in this world. I ask that you would be with us, and I pray that you would give us the power we need to live out, live out the Christian life that you have called us to. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. We are now going